We did have an enjoyable time on vacation. Appreciate your prayers for us while we're away. I listened to the tape, and uh, from all indications, some of you probably expected toilet paper in the trees and a little bit of everything done to our home. He said that Dave Watson was in charge of that committee. And uh, I was even apprehensive after I'd been home listening to the tape. But here's what we found. It said, Welcome Home Stips. From your first church family, with love and appreciation, you were missed by all. Kevin looked at the sign, he wanted me to read it, and he says, we missed all of what? <laughs> but we were, uh, we were on vacation. I guess I'd be totally honest, we um, went it with a little bit of apprehension, because I know this is a year where Finances have sort of clamped down on all of us. And I know some of you haven't had that privilege, but because of two generous friends expressing appreciation to us, we were able to make the trip. And I would say overall, it's for me as a father and a dad, it's the best week I've ever had with my family. Usually when we go on vacation, it's to see Grandma and Grandpa, and I have a tendency to be involved somewhere and caring somewhere else and maybe the kids somewhere else. And even on vacation, we get detached a bit. But this time, we spent a solid week together, four days traveling in a car. That's an experience. (laughs) But there was just sort of a special closeness that developed as a result of that week that was just so precious and remains precious. And we have received benefits from that that appreciate your prayers and your support. When we arrived back home, we were broken into a couple years ago when we left on vacation. So since then, I'm always go in the house first and check things out. And uh, so I went in this time, looked over in the living room and couldn't believe what I saw. So I went back out to get Karen. She was waiting in the car and she says, is everything all right? And I said, well, you'll find out. So it was a little bit of apprehension that she got out of the car and Walked cautiously a little bit through the kitchen, and I said, wait till you see the living room. And so she peeked around the corner, and she said, what is this? That sign was in the midst of two suits and a sports coat, and two dresses for Karen. We thought if you missed us that much for one week, we're almost ready to go again. But we want to thank you tonight. What an encouragement to come home to. And I, I thought of, uh, I thought of this church. Been thinking about caring for one another. Pastor said something this morning about our trip to the Dominican, handling the details and the, the finances and things like that for the trip over the last few years. I know what goes on in the fellowship of this church. Some of you who are unable to go on trips like the DR just simply help someone else go. Some of you have underwritten completely the expenses for others to go. And some have helped other people to go on trips like that. And then there are other things that go on in the midst of our fellowship. I know in the last few weeks, the Lord has spoken to me about some needs of people that I've been praying about. And God says, don't only pray for them. You need to do something. Get out your checkbook and help them. And out of obedience, 
You do the same thing I do. We just respond to each other like that. What a, what a blessed privilege to be in a church like this. God has really blessed our fellowship. I, I was thinking of uh, talking with my cousin this morning, Steve Rimley. He's married to, uh, to Sue, Jim's daughter. So you didn't know I was remotely related to Jim, did you? But Steve was telling me that when he started courting Sue back in 1969, he would come to this church. He was running about maybe 275 or 300. And he'd walk the halls and he said, sometimes, you know, it'd be 30 minutes or so before somebody would come up and shake my hand or talk to me. But he said, I've noticed the progression of the deepness of love in this fellowship over those years. He said, now I can't even get out of the parking lot before I'm made to feel like I'm somebody special. And that's what makes this church grow. I was talking to Max McLean this week over lunch, and Max said he's been reading a book on church growth written by one of the most successful pastors in the nation. And he said, really, the key to church growth is to develop a loving, caring fellowship. And how true that is. I'm so glad that I have the privilege of being your associate pastor, and I'm glad for what God is doing in the midst of us. After a service like last night and a service this morning, it's hard to know what to do. In some ways, I felt like I needed to put all of this material on a shelf and do something else tonight, but I thought, well, no, I know where I'm headed. This, this sermon is a result of uh, really a carryover from the last sermon, but really the one I started on is the one I'm going to preach next. The one I'll preach next will be on God's will. But before that, I felt like I needed to talk some things about vows and some things that are, that are on my heart. And I need to share with you because if we're going to know God's will for us as a church and individuals, then we have to understand some of the principles that he's given us. So we started out last time in just a, a brief way of review. We started out with the, uh, with this thought. Confirmation, which is the world, or transformation from the word. In Romans it says this, not to allow the world to squeeze you into its mold. And the world is continually doing that, trying to put pressure on us to make us conform to their image. The only way to get out of that pressure of the world squeezing us is to be transformed by the word of, word of God. And so as Christians, we need to know what God's word says and allow it to go through our being to transform us it's either transformation or confirmation that will happen in our lives. We relayed to you last time, it's sort of like a computer. Whatever you put in is what you're going to get out. And as Christians, we need to be conscious and aware of what the world and its system is trying to do to us. In fact, we uh, had a graphic illustration of that in our Sunday school lesson today, in the adult lessons at least, where... Even the religious system of the children of God had been conformed so much that the scripture says that every man did what was right in his own eyes. They were not following the dictates of God's word. There was no biblical line of truth that they were following. They were just simply, if it seems right to me, that's what I'm going to do. And so it's some of these principles that we began talking about last time. And one of those principles was wrapped up in, in the vows the Bible has something to say about vows in Ecclesiastes. It says, whether thou vowest a vow unto God, defer not to pay it, for God has no pleasure in fools. Pay that which you have vowed. Better is it that you should not vow than you should vow and not pay. And again in Numbers, 
The same principle, if a man vows a vow, he shall not break his word, but do according to all that has proceeded out of his mouth. And we gave examples of that last time we preached. I gave some examples from my father of others that uh, have been committed to a vow. So we want to review just a little bit more that same principle from last time where it said in, in Psalms 15.1, Who shall abide in thy tabernacle and who shall dwell in thy holy hill? It's answered in verse 4 of Psalms 15. He that swears to his own hurt and changes not. In other words, when I give my word on something, it needs to stay. We looked at that principle, those principles applied through marriage. And we said, what would happen then when we give ourselves in a marriage vow, when we pledge ourselves to another person till death do us part? In Joshua chapter 9, we gave an example and also we cited it in the manual of the Church of the Nazarene. It said that the marriage covenant is mutually binding so long as both shall live and may therefore not be dissolved at will. One thing I didn't say last week and I, or last time, and I want to say it today, is in the breaking of a marriage vow, and we, we went into detail last time, but in the breaking of that, some of the reasons why that is so difficult and such a hard thing to go through, and I know we talk about people's hurts and their feelings and their emotions, and that's all part of it, but some of the reason why that that is such a tough thing to do, it's because a vow that we've taken before the Lord is actually broken. And God makes that tough any time that happens. There's just something that makes a spiritual force like that. It, when it's broken and a vow is broken, it makes it very, very tough on us. Then I wanted to mention something also that's listed that in the break, if a vow is broken in marriage, marriage represents a relationship between Christ and His church as found in Ephesians 5. And also... What would happen if we were estranged from Christ? We've had the privilege of seeing that at our altars last night and this morning. When there's somebody has broken fellowship with Christ, they can be reconciled again. It says of, of marriage that uh, members of the Church of the Nazarene are to seek prayerful and redemptive course of action when involved in marital unhappiness. In full harmony, harmony with vows and the clear teachings of Scripture. Their aim being to save the home and to safeguard both the good name of Christ and his church. Couples having serious marital problems are urged to seek counsel and guidance of their pastor. Failure to comply with this procedure of good faith and with sincere endeavor to seek Christian solution and subsequent obtainment of an unscriptural divorce and remarriage makes both parties subject to the discipline of the Lord. And one of the things that I wanted to say at this point is that for a number of years, the church didn't ignore the ministry of reconciliation or the ministry of prevention, but we didn't do as much as we could have. And I wanted to, the pastor mentioned this evening Dr. Buckner. One of the reasons why Dr. Buckner is on our staff is primarily in this area, that when a marriage is involved in unhappiness and an unhappy situation, that it makes it possible for us to minister to a couple or a family at that point in their need. And it's really the goal to keep these marriage vows together and to keep divorce from happening. And for us as a church to have a man of Dr. Buckner's expertise and the qualifications that he have, has, I don't know of really anywhere in the church, 
where we could go and find that same privilege. And so I would encourage you, if there's any difficulty in your home or a home that you're close to, encourage them to seek help from Pastor and Dr. Buckner and any of us on staff because that's our ministry, to minister to you at this point. When I first started talking about principles of marriage some eight or ten years ago when I full started full-time Christian service, I had a statistic that always excited me. And that was, if you were a Christian attending church regularly, involved in your church, your chances of divorce were one out of 100. If you were not a Christian, your chances of divorce were one out of four at that time. Now the statistics for both Christian marriages and non-Christian marriages are the same. We have given ourselves at this in this church by putting a man on staff and being more and more conscious of our ministry to keep our homes solid, to keep them together, to keep them on a spiritual plane, and also to, to be a part of this ministry of reconciliation. And I think that's so important for us to realize because that's all a part of fulfilling our vows. Now the subject for tonight would be also another vow that we've taken, and that is to church membership. And in the, when pastor takes someone into the church, this is what is said, along with some with other things. Do you covenant to give yourselves to the fellowship and the work of God in connection with it, as it says set forth in the general and the special rules of the Church of the Nazarene? And the response is, I will. Now that to me is a covenant that we're making with the church and a vow that we're taking in church membership. Here's what the general rules are about in the Church of the Nazarene. So let's just look at them briefly. First of all, loving God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength, and your neighbor as yourself. So when you've said that I'm going to be a Nazarene, that's what you've said, that I will love God with all my heart, my soul, my mind, and my strength, and my neighbor as myself. The golden rule as Jesus gave it to us. I'll be faithful to witness to the unsaved. And that doesn't mean that you have to take, take any particular approach. It's the, the kind of witness that God gives you to reach the people that are around you that you influence. Number three, being courteous to all men. Number four, being helpful and forbearing of all those who are of the faith. It talks about a special interest to those who are of the household of believers that are ministry one to another. Being helpful and forbearing. Number five, seeking to do good. Ministering to the hungry, the naked, the sick, and the needy. And I'm glad that our church is a fellowship that encourages that kind of a ministry. And number six, to support the church with tithes and offerings. Did you know that when you became a member of the Church of the Nazarene, that part of the vow that you took as far as I will abide with the general rules of the church was that you'd be a, a storehouse tither? Number seven, faithfully attending the public worship services, the ministry of God's word, the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, and faithfully searching the scriptures. I wanted to say something about public worship services at this point. Is it according to our church and what we believe in discipleship classes that, that that's one of the means of grace? We believe that God's grace is able to reach us directly because we're his children. We're able to believe that God's grace reaches us when we read his word. And we also believe that God's grace is able to minister us as we pray, but we also believe that another means of grace is our public worship service. And so when we became a Nazarene, we said that we would be faithful attending the public worship services. Let me share with you a concern that we have on staff. In fact, we've talked about it a number of times in our staff meetings. 
That was as our church gets larger and larger and larger. There, we're developing more and more ministries. We're able to more, meet your needs more specifically, and, and we hope we can continue to do that out in the future. But yet there remains one concern. And that is, as we continue to grow, that we don't try to crowd so many things in that we cause you to choose between some of the things that would be optional ministries and public worship services. Because our services on Sunday morning and Sunday night and Wednesday night are so important for our spiritual health and the health of the body of Christ in this place. That's part of being a member of the Church of the Nazarene. And then there's some general guidelines that I've listed in red Avoiding evil, and those are things that we'd find basically in the Ten Commandments. Not swearing. Not profaning the Lord's Day. And I want to say something at this point. I can almost put that first slide back on. Don't allow the world to squeeze you into its moat. The world has treated the Lord's Day like any other day. And if we're not careful we'll forget to keep the Sabbath day or that principle of the Sabbath day and to render that day holy under the Lord. The same principle that is involved in the tithe is the same principle that is involved in the Lord's day. For the principle of the tithe is simply this. God said, if you will honor me with the first tenth of your income, watch what I'll do with the rest of the nine tenths. It'll go farther than you can with the whole thing. Prove me, God said, and see if that's not true. The same principle is involved in the Lord's day. God says, if you reserve one day for me, see what I'll do with the other six. Now, if you think you have to take my day to fulfill all of your entertainment needs, then you'll not see what I do on the other six. Or if you feel like you have to work seven days a week to make ends meet, then you'll not see what I can do in the other six. But if you'll honor me with the first day of the week, watch, and I'll prove myself. Give me that day which is rightfully mine. And doctors have proved well doing studies on by humans on humans to find out what their capacities are. Found out that the most healthy thing that a person can do is to take one day and reserve it. I don't know if they found to reserve it for the Lord, but to take off from their regular schedule. They found that to be very healthy for human beings. And God said, if you reserve it to me, not only will it be healthy for you physically, but it'll be spiritually your strength. Not profaning the Lord's day. Avoiding immorality, ungodly habits, quarreling. I better skip over that one real quick. Quarreling. That one, uh, well, we won't say anything. Dishonesty. Dishonesty. I want to talk about dishonesty. Anytime we talk about dishonesty, all of us can feel just a little guilty at that point because there are different kinds of dishonesty. I think this dishonesty it's talking about is directly bearing false witness against your neighbor. But you know, there are all kinds of dishonesties and more and more we have to come into the line of truth in this one because if we're all, if we forget about something and we're supposed to be somewhere and we just out and out and forget about it, it's real easy sometimes to make up an excuse why we weren't there instead of saying, I forgot. But one of the things that we have said as far as being a, a Nazarene is that I'm going to be an honest person and do my best to do what God wants me to do in the area of honesty. Number seven, pride in dress or behavior, not to be involved in that. Let me say at this point that this whole list, and this one bears it out more than any of the rest of them, but the whole list is to be evaluated for you. It'd be a lot easier to say, well, that person's got pride of dress, but the evaluation is for you. And I think as a church, we're doing a, a pretty good job at 
evaluating our own needs and giving other giving God latitude to speak to other people at the point of their needs. And that's why we have a strong fellowship. But one of the things we've said that we would be careful in and not indulge in is trying to demonstrate to the world that we're somebody special simply by the way that we dress. The scriptural principle out of First Peter is that we need to prove to the world we're God's children by our attitude and by the way that we treat them and not try to prove who we are by the way that we dress. Nothing wrong with with dressing nice. It just depends on the way that you do it and your motive. Only you can know the motive by which you're dressing. Okay, number eight. Entertainment that dishonors God. And that's fully spelled out a little bit later in the the special rules. And here they are. Now we've covered the general rules. The special rules of the Church of the Nazarene are this. We've said that entertainments subversive to Christian ethic we would not be involved in. And the manual says that that will be governed by three principles. And the first principle is the stewardship of leisure time. We all have leisure time and we're all filling it up. But how we're filling it up is we're talking, that's one of the principles of entertainments that are subversive to Christian ethic. And so that's further spelled out by the second one, which is the obligation to apply high moral standards to the Christian family. And that the, the manual goes on to say this, because we are living in a day of great moral confusion in which we face the potential encroachments of evil of the day into the sacred precincts of our homes through various avenues such as current literature, radio, and television, it is essential that the most rigid safeguard be observed. And that's the second principle of the of entertainments that would be subversive to the Christian ethic. And the third principle is this. First is stewardship. Next is a principle of safeguarding that which comes into our homes. And the third one is an obligation to witness against social evils by the refusal to patronize and thereby lend influence to the industries which are known to be purveyors of this kind of entertainment. And the things that are specifically spelled out, one, the motion picture theater, and two, certain television programs. I wanted to speak to these issues just a minute. I think I was asked about three times in the month of December if I'd seen the movie E.T. No, I haven't. And I don't plan to. Because as a Nazarene, I have said that I will not patronize the motion picture industry. When you put the motion picture industry and the television industry together, any sociologist that's got his head screwed on halfway correct will tell you that there has been nothing but a detrimental effect from those industries on our society. It has really literally taken us down the tubes. Talking about the world squeezing us into its mold. Some of the things that those industries are giving to us as Nazarenes were saying, we don't believe in that. We don't want to have any part of that. We're almost It's almost like we're saying we want to boycott that industry for what they have done to our society. It's the same principle that we use in trafficking in any kind of liquor. It does nothing but tear down our society. Certain television programming. Karen and I probably, who didn't have kids, wouldn't watch too much television. But when our children get home from school, we have set a certain block of time for them to watch, and then we had to kind of, sort of screen what they're watching. And I became aware of something. When I was a boy, I watched uh, Leave it to Beaver. That sounds kind of silly now, doesn't it? But I did. 
And that, you know, the reruns are still on. And so Kevin sits down and he, he watches Leave with the Beaver. And I don't know if you agree with that or not. But in comparing that program with what is now on primetime television, I can see where we've gone from since I was a boy now to when my boy is a boy. In Leave it to Beaver, they, I don't have to worry about the language. I don't have to worry about the concept of respect for parents. I don't have to worry about the concept of a family not going to church or having prayer at the table because they do all those things. But I can't recall a program now on primetime television that's current that where they do any of those things. The influence of the industry has moved little by little until now a program with children in it almost appears like the children are calling the shots and mom and dad are the dummies. And we have moved in our industry. We have to just be careful as Christians because the world is so subtle. It doesn't, didn't just jump one year they were doing Leave it to Beaver and next year they were doing something else. It's been a process of change of time and if we're not careful, that mold, that squeeze is coming in on us. And as Christians, we can't allow the world to squeeze us into its mold. Another thing is lotteries and gambling. Avoid lotteries and gambling. If some of the people in our legislature get their way, there will be a lottery in Indiana. Hopefully that won't happen. But we need to let people know what we believe about that. We're just not going to have any part of it. Oath-bound secret orders or societies. Now, that we've talked a little bit about vows and giving our word as Christians and what it means before God that when we give our word, God expects us to do just that. That kind of a commitment should be reserved for God. Maybe that'll help you to see why we were against oath-bound secret orders. Because we believe that our commitment should be open for anyone to see. The commitment we make to the church, the commitment we make to God, the commitment we make to our spouse. That's that's open for anyone just to look at. It's not reserved for secrecy. Number four, social dancing. We also believe that the... Well, let me just read it. Such practices tend to break down proper inhibitions and reserve between the sexes. And we believe in that, that dancing would help break down those inhibitions that to take someone else as a partner in a dance is not going to do anything spiritually for me to draw me closer to the Lord. It might do something to tear down my home. And so we take that stand. Number five, the use of intoxicating beverages. The Holy Scripture and human experience together justify the condemnation of the use of intoxicating drinks as a beverage. The manufacture and sale of liquors for such purposes is a sin against God and the human race. Total abstinence from all intoxicants should be the Christian rule of each individual. So we believe in total abstinence of any intoxicating beverages. And number six, we avoid the use of drugs and the abuse of prescribed medicines. Number seven, Induced abortion for the personal convenience or for population control. The manual further says about abortion, we believe induced abortion should be permissible only on the basis of sound medical reasons affecting the life of the fetus and that of the mother. We also oppose liberalizing 
of the laws which allow induced abortion upon demand. And as Nazarenes, we've taken that stand against abortion. On homosexuality, we believe it is sinful and subject to the wrath of God. We recognize the depth of the perversion that leads to homosexual acts, but affirm the biblical position that such acts are sinful and subject to the wrath of God. We also believe the grace of God sufficient to overcome such practices. We deplore any action or statement that would seem to imply compatibility between Christian morality and the practice of homosexuality. So really, for what other denominations have done on this issue, it's really unimportant. But as Nazarenes, we've taken a, a stand against it and rest on some very strong scriptures that God simply calls it sin. There's two more, one on stewardship. We believe in the stewardship of life, that, er, that God really owns everything and that we are stewards of all things. Not just our money, but of our life and our time and our talent and all things. It's a stewardship of life that we're talking about. And with that also is our stewardship of possessions. In that same portion of the manual, it says that we believe in storehouse tithing. And that is that our tithes should be given to the local church by, to which we're a member. And so stewardship is all a part of the life and that which we have committed ourselves to as Nazarenes. Out of that comes our, our motto for this church, fulfillment through ministry. Because we believe when you give yourself to ministry, you'll find fulfillment and that's part of your Christian stewardship. Not only to Christ, but through the body of this local church. And number 10 says elected officials are to be in full sympathy with the doctrines and the policies of the church of the Nazarene. Now that covers the portion of the manual that says that, that should be read and proclaimed in the church once a year. I wanted to deal with one other issue as far as vows are concerned. As parents, what happens when your children make, children make vows? In other words, whether it's a vow to the church or they give the word here and there, what is it, what's the responsibility of, of parents? In Numbers chapter 30, it talks about specifically the relationship between a father and his daughter. And it says if a father overhears his daughter make a vow and he doesn't say anything, then that vow has to be completed. But if he says and he overhears that vow being taken, he says, no, that's not going to happen, then the vow is disallowed. So as parents, if you hear your children give their word regarding anything, see that they carry that forth. My dad, as a non-Christian dad, allowed me to join. He said, you choose, Jerry, what you want to be. You can either be in the Boy Scouts or the 4-H. Which do you want? Well, I said, I'd rather be in 4-H. Okay, you can be in 4-H. can't be in both. So about halfway through the year, there was a 4-H meeting, and he said, uh, isn't there a 4-H meeting tonight? And I said, yes, there is, but I'm not going to go. He said, oh, you're not going to go? I said, no. He said, why not? Well, I said, I, I've got some studying to do tonight, and the meetings are kind of boring anyway, so I'm just not even going to go. Oh, he said, you are. He said, you said you wanted to be in 4-H. Well, I said, I did, but I didn't say I was going to. Well, he said, that's part of being in 4-H. So he said, as long as you're in 4-H, which was a year's commitment, you'll go to every meeting, whether you feel like it or not. And as a non-Christian dad, he'd also say, isn't there a missionary meeting for the teens tonight? And I'd say, yes. But dad, there's only six kids in our group. Well, he said, didn't you say that you was going to be in, in that missionary society? Yes. Then you're going to go. It was a commitment that he, he realized, even as a, 
As a non-Christian, he realized when you give your word to something, you've got to carry it out, whether you feel like it or not. And I had a good example of my father making sure that when I gave my word on something, that I had to fulfill my word and I couldn't back out. There's a strong penalty, a strong example in the Old Testament of a priest who had two sons that were priests. And the two sons got carried away. They just started doing whatever they wanted to do and offering sacrifices the way that they wanted to sacrifice and breaking a little rule here and breaking another rule here. And that went on for a while. And God called the father over and he said, uh, you know, you knew what your boys were doing all along and I've, I've got some bad news for you. Not only will they lose their life, but you'll lose your life. Because you've known what they've been doing and you didn't try to correct them. And that's a strong example of the penalty, how God sees a family in a relationship of a vow. So as parents, if your children have made a vow, whether it's to the church or whether it's to any particular school commitment, see that they carry it out. That's all a part of success and teaching them that their word has to be good. See, one of the things that the world says is, if I give my word on something and I change my mind, then that's okay, you'll just have to make the adjustment. God says if you give your word on something, it'd been better if you hadn't have said anything at all if you don't fulfill that word. In thinking about the future of First Church, there are, I can't tell you how overwhelmed my heart is on, on just the exciting things that are happening in our fellowship. I relayed to you just a few minutes ago some of the exciting things about caring and loving together. But you know, as the church continues to grow, if we as a church are going to be all that God wants us to be, then we'll have to be committed Nazarenes. Now, if we were Presbyterians or Methodists, the same would apply. We'd have to be committed Presbyterians. We'd have to be committed Methodists. But we're not. We're Nazarenes. We'll have to let other people know what we believe, and we'll have to stand where we've taken our vow. If we were a small church and incorporating three, four people into our fellowship every year, then we could disciple those sort of on an informal basis and not say too much about it. But our church is incorporating 80 to 100 people a year in our fellowship. And we're incorporating people from all walks of life and all backgrounds, all faiths. It's important that we stay according to the, the guide that we've committed ourselves to. We must to retain and to be and to, to remain a Nazarene church. We've got to maintain our vows that we've taken. One final thing. This statement God gave me a number of years ago, and I had to learn this, I guess, the hard way. That commitment always involves sacrifice. It's true in a marriage. You make a commitment to a marriage, and boy, there are a lot of sacrifices. You make it a, a commitment to join 4-H, and there's some sacrifices. You make a commitment to be in the choir, and there are sacrifices. You people know that. The result of our ministry this morning and last night was a result of some sacrifices some people have made. If you're going to be in the parking lot, you're going to make some sacrifices. No matter what commitment you make, there are sacrifices. And you say, well, some of the things in the manual I just don't agree with. I don't know if that's the question. Commitment always involves sacrifice. And I'll also supplement that with this. The greater the commitment, the greater the sacrifice. And when you give all to Christ, that'll mean all for you.
If you want all that God has for you, it'll take all that there is of you. And that's our doctrine of sanctification. Is to give myself as a living sacrifice. Holy, acceptable unto God, which is my reasonable service. And not to be conformed to this world, but to be transformed by his word and by the renewing of my mind that I might prove to myself and to anybody that's looking on that God's will for me is good. It's acceptable and it's perfect. So if I'm going to know God's will for my life, which is my next, my next sermon, then first of all, my life has to line up with the commitments that I've made. Otherwise, I'll never know God's will. Otherwise, it would be foolish for me to go ahead and preach that sermon that's coming up next because I haven't done the first things first. Next time will be a little, a sermon where you can take notes. <laughs> I told someone, they said, uh, well, I forgot my notebook tonight. I said, that's all right. Tonight you probably won't need a pencil. You'll need an eraser. Tonight hasn't been sort of a sermon where it's caused you to stand up and jump and run the aisles. Like Pastor said, there are various kinds of ministries. Thank the Lord for the ministries we had this morning where we get people to a place of commitment and decision. But in the process, we have to disciple and we have to come face to face with what we believe and why we believe it and where we're standing and why we're standing there. And when we do that, God will continue to bless the ministries of this church. That's what's on my heart. That the ministry of this church would continue to go forward so that collectively we can be the kind of people and experience the potential that only God knows for us. And I think the future is bright and exciting and I want to be a part of it. I just want to see what God wants to do through us and to us. Because I think, like the scripture says, I has not seen Ear has not heard, neither has it entered really into our hearts yet what God wants to do among us. Would you stand with me, please? And Bill, I'd like for you to come and marry to the organ. I'd like for us to close with a verse and a chorus that would kind of express the desire of my heart, and I know it expresses the desire of your heart, is I will serve thee because I love thee. You have given life to me. And you've made meaning out of the pieces of my life. Bill, lead us as we sing together. I will serve thee because I love thee.